Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. We want to come into God's Word today, into John chapter 4, and look at this incredible miracle that Jesus does as he continues to show us what really matters. And uh, do you know what we usually have signs for? What do signs usually do? Signs usually give us information. Signs generally point us somewhere else or tell us where we should be going. And when you come into God's Word and you see Jesus doing these wonderful miracles, these wonderful signs, you've got to be careful not just to get absorbed by the miracle, but to actually see where it's pointing to, because that's critical. And in this beautiful book of John, as we go right through the book of John, the whole time the Lord Jesus is trying to point us to who he really is, because that's very important for us. It's actually a matter of life and death that we understand who he is. He's pointing to himself and showing us that he is indeed what the Old Testament scriptures call the Messiah, what we learn in the New Testament as the saviour of the world. Jesus, through the book of John, is pointing and showing us through these wonderful signs that Jesus is the one whom came from God and is God in the flesh and paid the price for our sin that we might be forgiven and made right with God. We're dealing with really big issues here. We're not talking about where to spend your money or where to holiday or what car to buy. We're talking about life and death. And he does that through the lives of the people that he meets. I'd like to pray with you for about 25 minutes because I haven't got much content. <laughs> and uh, then we'll, we'll get in. And I'd like to share a, a little story with you as we set up the scene. Today we want to talk about what it is to believe. And have you really, truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these precious people that you've drawn here today even the ones that have been brought along by family members and are perhaps still wondering what I'm doing here, we thank you, Lord, that this is no mystery to you and no surprise. Thank you that you love these dear people. You love us so much. We thank you for your precious word that you have condensed down all the wonderful things that the Lord Jesus did, Father, so that we might come to saving faith, that you might rescue us from our blindness, our ignorance, our sin, and from death itself. We thank you for giving us your perfect word. We pray this morning as we open your word that your spirit would speak to us, illumine your word, give us understanding. And uh, Father, we ask these things in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. On December the 7th, 1988, an earthquake devastated the north section of Armenia, killing an estimated 25,000 people. And the slide that you'll see come up on the screen for you now shows you three shots, just three of what must be thousands of shots, of the devastation that that earthquake brought to that region. It was heartbreaking. In one small town, just after the earthquake, a father rushed to his son's school, only to find it completely flattened and there's no signs of life. But he had no thought of turning back. He'd often told his son, no matter what happens, I will always be there for you when you need me the most. And though his prospects appeared hopeless, the father began feverishly removing the rubble from where he believed his son's classroom had been. Other forlorn parents only wailed hopelessly 
for their sons and daughters and they told the father that he should go home. There was nothing that could be done. He said to them, I made my son a promise and I'm going to fulfill that promise regardless of what I find. And courageously he worked alone. No one volunteered to help him. He simply had to know for himself, is my boy alive or is he dead? Finding strength and endurance beyond himself, the faithful, loving father continued to dig, not for eight hours, not 12 on his own, not 24, but 38 hours he dug and dug and dug, moving the heavy stones one by one aside and at one stage moving a large stone aside and he heard the voice scream out from within the rubble. A child's voice responded as he cried out, Ahmed, is that you? And he cried out, Dad, it's me. I told the other kids who are with me here not to worry that you would come and find us. He rescued his son and 13 more children out of that hole. Isn't that incredible? 13 more precious little lives. Boys and girls who are thirsty and cold that were free at last and reunited with their just unbelievably stunned parents. When the townspeople praised Ahmed's dad, his explanation was, I promised my son, no matter what, I'd be there for you. Isn't that beautiful? It's not a made-up story, a story that occurred in 1988. And it really does underscore the love of your father, your heavenly father for every single one of you that he has gone out of his way to come and rescue you from the most perilous situation that humanity has ever faced, and that is that we are sinners before our God, and our sins deserve death, but our gracious God has sent his Son in our place to die a death that we could not die, to rescue us from something that we could not rescue ourselves from. Isn't that wonderful news? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when we come into the book of John, the book of John really is crafted to help us understand how amazing the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us is and how wonderful the rescue plan that he put into place is. As we move through this text, I want to do a little bit of geography. I want to show you the land, the biblical land of our Lord Jesus Christ and explain as we move through the book of John how the Lord Jesus Christ is going to move up and down this map. He walks from Jerusalem right to Capernaum and back again through the scriptures. And you'll see on the first slide for you, at the bottom of that, the, the big blue arrow, which won't be significant for you, but in the past I've had arrows so thin that no one could see them. But I finally found a humongous arrow and if you look at that at the bottom of the screen, there's Jerusalem, and at the top of the screen is Capernaum. And our precious Saviour will walk from one end of that map and back. And uh, just in the few chapters that we're going to, to look at, he starts in Jerusalem. And the geography is such that from Jerusalem to the top of your map actually descends down to Capernaum. So he seems to be walking down, and then when he comes back, of course, he's walking up to Jerusalem. And this is what you see in your Bibles in, in the earlier part of John chapter 4. You'll remember from the last message, perhaps, our Lord Jesus Christ, rather than skirting around Samaria, which was mixed race, it was both Gentiles or non-Jewish people and Jewish people lived in Samaria. And an Orthodox Jew would normally avoid that like the plague. They would take a route around to your left-hand side take extra days and days to walk around to your left-hand side to avoid 
<laughs> engaging with the Sumerians. So much prejudice and hatred. But then God arrives on the scene and God's not going to walk around that. He's going to walk right through the middle of it because he made the Sumerians too. When you come into John chapter 4, you'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ has walked up into the, the area of Samaria, Nisakar, and he's met the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well who had five husbands and the man that she was living with presently wasn't her husband and she was amazed at the Lord Jesus Christ and she went back to her town and told everybody what happened and then they came out and, they, and the scriptures tell us they begged Jesus to stay longer. So he stayed for an extra two days and the Bible tells us that many came to faith and they came to faith not through the wonders and signs that the Lord Jesus, and this is a setup for where we're going, not through the signs and wonders that Jesus did, but they heard the Lord Jesus Christ speak. And as he reasoned with them and shared his word with them, they came to faith. And they finally say these amazing woman, uh, words to the woman. They said in verse 42 of chapter 4, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. And heaps of people got born again in Samaria, non-Jewish people. And our great God who has made us all in his image showed them great mercy, even though the Jews wouldn't even walk through their place, lest they got their dust of those people on their feet. There was so much prejudice. God is not prejudiced. We move from the woman at the well, and Jesus is going to move up the map now to a place called Cana. And I want to pause here because when you heard the scriptures read, you heard him say that a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. Do you remember that? And then he says, I'm going to go to Cana. Well, actually, this is Jesus' region. This is where he was born. And this is where it doesn't make any sense. One, he says, I'm, going, I won't, I'm, I'm not welcome in my own town, so therefore I'm going to go there. Seems rather suicidal and stupid, but it's actually really beautiful because what he is saying is, I've done many, many miracles. This is where I turn the water into wine. They, they've seen me do things that would just blow your socks off. And they know me as a man who does signs and wonders. And yet they have never truly come to believe me. They love what I do, but they don't love who I am. And I'm going to show them incredible mercy. I'm going to go back there, even though I'm not received well, that just one, maybe two or more will come to know me. And I love that because that's the same fervor that God loves you with. You can think of yourself as being too far from God's reach, too sinful for God to ever care for. The things that you have done, if people knew about the things that you've done, you wouldn't even be welcome in this building. But God loves you. And he will come after you because that's the character of our God. We learn as he comes to Cana, or into Galilee, it says in verse 43, after two days he departed from Galilee in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And as he arrived in Cana, the story tells us that there was a man in Capernaum. A man with great influence and great power. He was a servant or a, an official, I beg your pardon, in the temple of Herod or in the, the kingdom of Herod. Herod was, this is the Herod Antipas, a wicked man. This is the man who had John the Baptist's head cut off. This is the man who married his brother's wife. This man was not a nice man, but this official, it seems, 
most likely was a Jew. He had a clear understanding that there was a Messiah to come. He had an understanding that, the, that God would one day work powerfully in the lives of humanity and provide a sacrifice for them. And we see that played out as it moves on. And he's living in a place of influence. He has money, power, servants. Pretty much anything that he wants is at his fingertips. But he finds himself in a hole that he cannot dig himself out of. And all of a sudden, he's just like us. There are things that we face in life that we simply cannot overcome on our own. There are things that we face that utterly devastate us and tip us upside down. And God is going to show us that he wants to meet us in the middle of those times. That God has an answer for that. That God wants to be our strength that he wants to comfort us, that he wants to be our peace, that he wants to speak deeply into our souls like nothing else can. And he shows that to us through this man who comes from Capernaum, hearing that Jesus Christ is in Cana, he's down in Capernaum. And he hears that Jesus is in Galilee, at Cana, and he's about, for my measurement, well, forgive me if I've got this a little bit out of whack, but he's roughly about 40 k's away. He doesn't send his servants. He goes himself because his son is dying. All the money in the world, all the power in the world. But no one but God has the power over life and death. And as he watches his son waste away, he's prepared to do anything to make him better. You get that, don't you? You know how much we love our children. You see, if you're a child here, you see how much your parents love you and we're prepared to give everything for you. And so this man gathers himself up and makes the 40-kilometer trek up to Cana to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he begs him, please, will you come? Come and lay your hand upon my son. Would you come? And I've seen you and heard that you have done miracles. Would you come and do another miracle in Cana? And he gets an interesting response, doesn't he, when he speaks to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ says to him in verse 48 and 50, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So I'd be, I think that's an odd response. This guy's walked 40 k's. His son's dying. You would think that the God of heaven and earth would have compassion on him. And he basically gives him a mild rebuke and says, Well, actually... All you guys are interested is in signs and wonders. This would have really struck at the heart of both this official, but more so the people that were gathered around him, because he was speaking not just to the official, but in terms he was speaking to all the people that were listening in on this. And don't make no mistake, 2,000 years and more later, he's speaking to us and saying we are a people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. But many times I find in my life, I see him as a slot machine or as an avenue to gain something that I want. I beg of him in prayer and I can pray the most eloquent prayers. I've had 30 years to master prayer and make myself sound sincere. And I come before the living God in prayer, but all I'm interested in is gaining his influence, his power, his miracle in my life. Please fix my problem and then get out of my way again so that I can get on and live my life the way that I want to live my life. 
And I know that's true of me at times because I don't even go back and say thank you. I just think beauty, that's dealt with. What's the next thing I need you to fix? God is my Mr. Fix-It. I keep him out in the garage in a box and when I run into trouble, I go out and dig him out and say, get this done. But please don't speak to me about how to live my life. Please don't tell me that I need to humble myself before you. Please don't think that you can speak into my relationship. Don't you tell me how to spend my money. I give you a little bit of it on Sunday and you should mind your business for the rest of it. So Jesus says to this man in desperate need and brokenness, you just seek a sign. But this man is so broken and so desperate, he doesn't go away at that point. He responds to the Lord Jesus and he said, he asked them, if you come with me again into that passage, and he says, sir, come down, my, uh, come down before my child dies. I beg of you. And how does Jesus respond to him again? The man says, come down. And Jesus just says, go. Go, your son will live. And do you remember when I told you about the woman at the well and how the people there at Sakaar believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? They spent time with him and they heard his word. They didn't see his miracles. They just heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ as he testified to who he was, and they believed and they came and many were saved. You remember we talked about that? This, that was a setup for this. He's saying exactly the same thing here. He's demonstrating to you this man came with real faith and real belief. It was, it was a fledgling faith, faith and a fledgling belief, but it was real nonetheless. And we see that by the way he responded because Jesus didn't do a miracle in front of him. He said, just believe my word. And what did the man do? He turned on his heels and he set off again, 40 kilometers. Man, that must, that must have been hard. Going home, hoping that what he's believed is real because if he's not, he's going to face his son's death and he's got to explain that to his wife and the heartache that would be waiting for them there if that was the case. Would have been a lonely 40 kilometers as he turned on his heels and began to walk again thinking, what will I face when I arrive? And if you've ever, and I'm sure you have, had bad news and the dread that is in your heart and the weight on your shoulders as you've had to take yourself to that place. My sister uh, fell in love with a really nice man. I lived in Tasmania. And uh, they came back through Adelaide and asked me if I'd marry them. And I said, there's no way that's going to happen. And... Uh, no, I agreed to marry them and they went back to WA and then three and a half weeks later I got a phone call to say that Peter had had a brain hemorrhage and died. Just like that. And then so we, we didn't, couldn't afford to fly so we packed our kids, our four kids in the car and we drove 28 and a half hours to get back to Bunbury to be with the family so that we could just love on them. It's a long drive. And it was a heavy drive because we were just thinking about what we were going to face when we got there. And we were thinking, what do we say to my sister? And what do we say to my mum? And it just seemed so unfair. She's such a nice girl. And, she, and this tragedy comes through her life. And this man turns on his heel and he's got to walk 40 kilometres and he must have been going through this in his head a hundred times. And then in the distance, after walking for many kilometres... 
he sees a crowd and hears a crowd coming towards him and can't quite work out what they're talking about or but they seem familiar and as they get closer he recognizes that they're his servants and are they joyful or are they coming to tell him that his son has died that must have been a painful his heart must have been coming out of his mouth and as they draw closer they finally cry out your son is alive hallelujah and the the, the official must it was Clearly, he was deeply moved and he was also a smart man because the question he asked next is, when did my son revive? When did my son live? And they responded, he lived at this time and the servant put the dots together and the official put the dots together rather and realised that the exact time that the son had been raised up was the exact time that Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. Wonderful, wonderful. How joyful those last kilometres. I don't even imagine he noticed how long the last kilometres were. Wouldn't have mattered if he did it barefoot. He was just so full of joy to arrive home. Powerfully, powerfully moved. And we know it was real faith because as we look through the story, we see that this man went home and he told his household about the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Has anybody got a clean tissue that they haven't used and dried out? (laughs) Thank you very much. I'll give it back to you in a minute. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lauren, for that. This man goes home, and we know it was real faith because the Bible goes on to tell us that his whole household got saved. He went home and said, the one whom we thought was the Messiah is the Messiah. In Old Testament language, that means saviour. Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is God's son. He is the saviour of the world. He's the one who can forgive us of sin. And we learn this wonderful, wonderful story ends with the whole household coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith. Is that the same faith that you have? Have you come to believing faith? Have you avoided the mistake of just being involved in the church and the things that the church does? This is a real danger for the second generation who gets saved into the church. You're comfortable here. You know everybody's name. They know you. You can bump into the line for coffee and shortcut everybody else. You can actually go in the back and get a coffee when you want to. Mate, you own the place. But have you come to saving faith? Have you actually understood that you're a sinner and that you're under the condemnation of God and that you need to personally meet the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sin? That he needs to be more to you than just a miracle worker. He needs to be more to you than someone who can just answer your prayers when you drag him out of the box from the garage. He needs to be first in your life. He needs to be Lord of all of your life. What about those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ for many years and how quickly we can move from living a saving faith to living for ourselves again? I want us to observe a few things because time is moving on. I want to make an application for you of three things, uh, four things, because preachers never tell you the truth about when they're finishing. They've always got another one tucked up its sleeve. But the first one is pride of attachment. 
These people use the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he said a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown because as he went back to, to uh, Galilee, as he went through to Cana and to Nazareth and had done many miracles, these people were just using him. They were happy for him to feed them. They were happy for him to turn water into wine. They were happy for him to do miracles. But they missed the sign pointing towards Jesus as Saviour and they didn't come to know him personally. We can do very much the same thing. We're interested in his power. It makes us feel really super to, be a, to know him in that way from a distance. But do we know him personally? It can create the second thing. It can create it is a sense of entitlement. He's from our hometown. He's our homeboy. He's, he belongs to us. He was born in the same... I, look, it's like the West Coast Eagles. When the West Coast Eagles win the flag this year, I'm going to come to church with my scarf and my jumper on and I'm going to pretend that we're so tight because 30 years ago I lived in Western Australia. That's good enough for me. They're my team. They probably know me by name. Every day they get down and pray for me. We're really tight. And this goes on in the church. We know about Jesus like Jesus is part of our church. He's even mentioned in our vision statement. But do you know him personally? Or are you just living off that ether? And finally, our familiarity with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have you heard that Jesus is saviour? How many times have you heard the preacher say that he needs to be first in our lives and you just give a little bit of a nod? You've got to give a nod because there's like 100 people sitting behind you and you want to make sure that people see you nod. Okay, I do it. You must. Times when Timon's preaching, I'm nodding like my head's on a piece of rubber. But that doesn't always indicate where our heart is, does it? Our head can be nodding all day, but our heart can be as, like a piece of stone. And we've got to abandon that. We become so familiar with it that it doesn't shock us anymore. In our minds, the Lord Jesus Christ can't do anything mind-blowing anymore. It's just the same, 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 same. And we need to ask God to tenderize our hearts that we remain in awe of him. He says, finally, they are seeking a miracle, always looking for a miracle. Let us not be people who are always looking for a miracle, but let us, people who, let us be a people who really know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And we do that not through looking at his signs and wonders. We do that through looking into his word and meeting him face to face. I want to take you to John chapter 3 and a few verses as we close. Graham, can you please be gracious to me once more? No, that's a very small tissue. You don't want that back. Excuse me. Having a moustache is a blessing, but a cursing as well. John chapter 3, verse 36 says this. Whoever believes in the Son has... What? We've heard that before, haven't we? It doesn't really thrill us anymore. It should... It should just make your heart leap and it should make your stomach do a backflip. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Hallelujah. We have been taken from death to life 
And how do we do that? Not through that miracle as such, but through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting his word, coming to know him personally and intimately and believing what he says is true and having the courage even in the face of of imminent death to be able to turn on our heels and obey him as that precious official did. Whoever does not obey the son shall not, what? We're talking about life and death. We're not talking about the colour of your car. We're talking about the most important thing that we face as humanity. But the wrath of God remains on him who will not believe. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 says these beautiful words. And I wanted to read this to you because doesn't this just lay so beautifully over John chapter 4 and the story of the official who truly believed and then he went home and shared that with his family and his whole family got saved. This is one of speaking of the Philippian jailer and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be and your household as well. And that saving faith doesn't come through being connected to a church or taking communion or being baptised or having the biggest Bible in the church. That comes through believing what the Lord Jesus Christ has said and knowing him personally and intimately. John chapter 20, and I'll close with this, says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Many people healed as the Lord Jesus moved throughout the land. But these are written so that you, what? So that you may mumble. You're on it again. Come on. So that you may believe. And that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you now see that the book of John is not just some meandering description of the life of Jesus as he ministered to people. It is actually a book of life and death. It's a book that has been crafted by the Holy Spirit as he's moved upon men to write it down so that God could tell you this is how you can escape the penalty of death that you so rightly deserve. Isn't that beautiful? What an incredible love letter that he has written to us. And not only the sign of the Samaritan woman, not only the sign of this official son, but as we journey through together, you'll see again sign and sign and sign. And we ought to be in wonder of the signs, but in wonder that it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in for a treat next week. Pastor Ollie Van Roos is going to preach us the first part of chapter 5 of John. Another sign that points to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is the one who knew no sin, and yet he died in our place. He took upon himself our sin, that we, by believing in him, might be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? Many of you here today who have long lost your passion for the Lord. Church is just a place you come to on occasion, either to unload a burden or to feel better about yourself. And come Monday to Saturday, God is really involved in your life. You make no mention of him and you have no faith in him and you don't believe that he's going to meet your need. You come here desperate, hoping some miracle will occur. And I completely understand that. And you're in absolutely the right place. And you are so very welcome because we've all felt like that. 
And we need to shake ourselves off and we need to get back to God's word and we need to learn about our precious saviour. And as we read the word of God and meditate on the word of God, our faith is stirred and our belief grows. There are many of you here perhaps today that don't know the Lord Jesus at all. What a perfect book for you to be looking at. What a miracle that you would be here on this day to hear that it's important for you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh and he came to die to pay the price for your sins. And if you put your faith in him, if you put your belief in him, which is a gift of God to you, he will reward that and save you. So I'm wondering if you'd be so kind as to stand with me. All of you, if you're able to, please stand. I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to all come up the front or anything, so don't be frightened. I'm going to ask the musicians, they're going to come forward and we're going to close in a moment. But I wanted just simply to pray with you. For those of you that are apathetic, as I often have been apathetic, those of you who have long lost your awe for God, like I have lost my awe many times, I want to pray for you first. And then I want to pray for those in our service today that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to call you to believe. I want to call you to cry out on you to cry out to God and ask him to forgive you and I want you to put your faith in him. And I want you to do that by simply praying along with me. First I want to pray for those of you that are struggling like I often have. Father, we come before you and say thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you've left your word here for us so that we can learn of you and that your precious spirit reveals so much about how wonderful you are, how wonderful the Lord Jesus is, how powerfully the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And Father, for some of us, we have wandered so far away. We've gone back into the world and we're doing the things that we think will satisfy us and yet we continue to be hungry and thirsty for something more than we've got. And so we humble ourselves before you this morning and ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for not seeking after you as you've sought after us. Forgive us for not reading your word and learning more of how precious and treasured you are. We beg of you to work powerfully in our lives, to stir us by encouraging us, encouraging one another that we might remind ourselves of what you've done for us and grow in our faith and our belief. And Father, I want to pray along with those that have never trusted you. We come before you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask you to forgive us for our sin. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We believe that he died for us to pay the price for our sin that we couldn't pay. And we believe that on the third day he rose again and is now seated with you in heaven, Father. We ask that as we respond to you in faith that you would Forgive us of our sins. We want you to be, Lord Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. And we invite you into our lives to take control of our lives, to seal us with your Spirit. Please forgive us and be our God and our Saviour, we pray in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.